So, um, if you don't normally go to church, uh, we normally have a two-hour lecture at this point. And, um, but we decided to cut it down a bit today. I uh, wanted to bring a, a little quick report, actually, from the gathering. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, that um, is actually the biggest men's Christian festival in Europe. And um, which we started a few years ago um, on a punt, really, um, just because we fancied doing a conference that we actually wanted to go to as men, uh, which included blowing things up and shooting stuff. So we describe it as a cross between Top Gear and Songs of Praise, uh, which works for us. And then it really grew. But this year, we had, I think officially, 2,436 guys go, of which 30% uh, weren't followers of Jesus. So you have a lot of people going, I mean, basically, obviously I'm an evangelist, so everything I do tends to be evangelistic. So when we set it up, we wanted to create something that non-Christian blokes would want to go to. But I'm pleased to report that 5% of the camp made responses to the gospel. So that's absolutely amazing. 5%. It's incredible. It's a lot of guys. And um, I wanted to tell you one story about that. Um, we have, a, we have a, two big tents. One that seats up to... 2,600, so we're pretty much at capacity on that one. We may need a bigger tent next year, I think. So we've got 1,400 people booked in already for it uh, next year, which is great. Which might be more than that now. But we also have something we call a mess tent. We have a lot of military guys go, a lot of Christian police go, which um, can contain probably about 1,500, I would think, at a push. It's got a big bar in it and stuff like that. And we do all sorts of alternative stuff in there. And one group of guys who are speaking in there, we're called Tough Talk. Tough talk are ex-bouncers, hard men, villains, um, assassins, ninjas, that kind of thing, who, who have become followers of Jesus and have hopefully left their old ways behind, we hope. And I, I, start, I mean, they're mates of mine. Now, some of you have been here when Arthur White has been speaking, who is you know, four times world powerlifting champion, ex-cocaine addict and villain who then gave his life to Christ, and his life was amazingly transformed. He's spoken here. I, I always, Arthur and I like to hang around a bit together, so I went into the mess tent to hear Tough Talk, where Arthur was taking part. Arthur was praying for a young man. Actually, he's probably about 30, but I'm feeling proper old these days. So, hey, that is young. Yeah, great. So... And he was, he was weeping, this young guy. Now, he looked like a hipster, like me. You know, I aspire to that look. It's not working, is it, Andy? And, but this guy, he was a proper cockney. He sounded like Andy Payton. <laughs> he did, actually. I mean, my accent is softening. I think you, you've been stubbornly held the old London in there, haven't you, mate? Brother. So this guy looked like a sophisticated hipster, but he was weeping. And Arthur said, you need to hear Matt's story. So I went, what's your story? And he went, oh, mate, I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> now, he looked like a hipster. You know that thing happens where it jars you. You think, I wasn't expecting that to come out of his mouth. I was expecting him to talk kind of like this. But he didn't. I went, what's your story? And he went, he said this, he went, I 
Christ giving me life of Christ. <laughs> when have you, brother? And I have. I'm going to drop the accent now. It's doing me head in. I used to sound much worse than that, actually, back in the day. He said, um, I give my life to Christ. He said, yesterday, I had three kilos of cocaine in my house. It's a drug dealer. And, and there are various other circumstances which he's also told me about, which I won't repeat. I said, oh. So what just happened? He said, I listened to Tough Talk. He said, when I was little... I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And then I put my fingers in my ears. And I drowned it out. That is true for so many people. A lot of kids went to YMCA groups, Sunday school groups, and, and may have actually met Christ, prayed, all that kind of stuff. Got the Gideon's Bible like I did. And read the Gideon's Bible. No, I smoked my one because it was made of visitors, which is another story for another time. But I did get there in the end. You're looking horrified at me there. <laughs> now this guy says, I put my fingers in my ears. And my life just, just fell off the edge of a cliff. He said, I'm in danger. He said, no, I met Jesus. He said, well, that's amazing. So give him a hug. He said, what are you going to do about the three kilos of cocaine in your house? He just can't go ask the question. He said, I don't know. He said, everything's just turned around. He said, I feel like my eyes have been opened again. Which is what I, what, you know, I was saying earlier. When I gave my life to Christ, I felt like I was looking at a colour picture for the first time ever. I remember standing next to my mate saying, they're green. He went, what? He went, them. He said, what? The leaves. He said, what? He said, they're green. I was crying. I said, they're green. So what are you talking next to me, mate? Like, we're, we're, this is in like Hornchurch in Essex. You don't cry over leaves on a shrubbery. But I was, because I'd never seen it before. I can't describe it to you unless you've gone through it. But I, you know, I have to wear glasses now. And when I put them on, there's Ginny. Now everything's in focus. That's what it felt like. And that's what happened to this guy. So it's amazing. Anyway. Next day, I'm going to bounce around a bit. Next day, I'm walking through the mess tent again. And um, he comes over to me. Now, there's two and a half thousand men there. It's unusual for me to bump into the same person twice so quickly. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I didn't even really see the guys from RK, which I felt really bad about. But I was just so busy and dashing around over trying to run it all. Anyway, this guy comes up and he says, I've got a favour to ask. So what's that? He said, when I turned up, and it turned out he was at the gathering because his mate was a Christian and was worried about him and invited him and paid for him to go at the last minute. So there's a lesson there somewhere. Anyway, he said, when I turned up, I saw the meat wagon, i.e. police riot vehicle. That wasn't there because there was a riot at the gathering. That was there because I've got a huge number of police friends in the Christian Police Association, and every year they put on a fake riot squad demonstration and, and, and carry out people doing expressive dancing and twirling. Uh, <laughs> I've got these rules. I don't like streamers in men's events. So if you do it, and I usually set it up so I give a couple of fellow streamers, and then they come in with their riot shields and cart them off. It's good fun. Anyway, so I've had all sorts actually doing that. I've had UK's strongest man evicting people and 
um, a man dressed up as a knight with a sword. It's all good fun. Anyway, he said, I saw that, and I just wanted to do a runner. I said, understandably, three kilos of cocaine in your house. <laughs> and then he said, I've lived a life of hate all my life. Since I put my fingers in my ears, I've been a man of hate. And I hated the police. So I called them the filth. So I spat at policemen, swore in their faces, hated the police. He said, something's happened to me. I said, what is it? He said, I want to hug a copper. <laughs> it's amazing. That is a sign of a man whose heart has been radically changed overnight. You can't read a book and, and get yourself there. You can't see a hypnotist and get yourself there. You can't get some weirdo self-help book and change your heart and thinking or your destiny. But Christ came and he did surgery on that young man's heart overnight. So I said to him, I took a massive risk here actually. I said to him, um, do you really want to make this like a public declaration that your heart's changed and now you want to hug a policeman? He went, he said, yeah. He said, I, wanna, I want for now and I want to be a man of love, not fear and hate. I said, well, what I'm going to do, if you're up for it, Matt, I'm going to call you out the front. And I'm not going to warn the police. And I'm going to ask you if there's any, any Christian cops around. Come and give you a hug. He went, yeah, that'd be great. I said, it saved me searching around for a Christian cop now. Went, yeah, fantastic. So anyway, I didn't tell anyone about this. I didn't even tell my team. And um, I actually had a terrible moment, which I'll tell you about in a moment. So I called Matt Ford in front of two and a half thousand men. And then I said, Matt, I didn't actually say I had three kilos of cocaine itself. But I said, Matt is a career criminal and a man I hate. And yesterday he met Jesus Christ. And he used to hate the police. So he called the police filth, spat in their face. And since yesterday and overnight, he now wants to hug a policeman. I said, are there any Christian cops here today? And at that moment, even before I got the sentence out of my mouth, I don't know how many it was, but it was a lot. Anyone, anyone who saw that? I mean, it was over a dozen cops. 30 cops. My gosh. Anyway, I know some of them very well. And they all went running towards him. And I suddenly thought, I wonder if he's got a warrant out for his arrest. <laughs> I thought, what have I done? Actually, my heart sank. I thought, oh no, he's going to get nicked and carted off in front of everybody. I, t I did. I thought, I've totally blown it. Because some of them are looking very determined. <laughs> and, and some of them are undercover cops, and some are CID, and some are drug squad officers. <laughs> I thought, oh no, like, this could be terrible. This whole reconciliation moment just blown up in my face. Anyway, it didn't happen like that. They ran up to that young man. And they grabbed hold of him and they kissed his head and they stroked his face and kissed his cheek and they wept together. They got in a huddle and they wept. I've never seen anything like it in all my life. I don't know how I held it together on the platform, if I'm honest with you. More significantly even than that, one policeman came over to me afterwards who had been stabbed up very badly in the line of duty, injured very, very badly by a criminal. And he said to me, 
I have been suffering from PTSD. And as I hugged that young man and kissed his head, I felt all my anxiety, stress and depression leave me. And he is still in peace today. Isn't that amazing? Now, it was utterly remarkable. And Matt, the young man has since been in touch with him, and he's really walking before the Lord now. It is quite a remarkable thing. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Only Jesus Christ can do that, ladies and gentlemen. You can't manufacture that. And what I've learned is this about following Jesus Christ. And what I've seen in him is this. Jesus always crossed the room to people. He always reached out to people that other people didn't want to reach out to. He always gave people a way back. He always gave people another chance. He hung out with people that everyone else had written off. Consistently. So, if you were to look at a Bible, or if you've got a Bible with you, a whistle-stop tour, very, very quickly. Jesus was distinctively different in, in so many amazing ways. In fact, Jesus Christ is utterly remarkable. When he started his ministry in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he said, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and proclaim release to the captives and recover his sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. If you were poor in the ancient Middle East, you didn't get benefit. You didn't get help. You didn't get counselling. There's no NHS. There is no provision. We may, we may have struggles with our system here and now, and I get that. But if you were poor in the ancient Middle East, basically you were stuffed. And it was just seen as your thing. Like, you, you're cursed. If, you, if, you're, if you're poor or diseased or ill, you're cursed. What Jesus did broke the mould. He said, actually, I've come for poor people. I'm going to help them. I've come for diseased people, and I'm going to touch them. I've come for people that everyone hated, and I'm going to love them. And I don't really care what people think. He didn't care. Actually, the most important thing to him was that he loved the unlovable and touched the untouchable. And straight away, and some of you have been here a while with me in this church, will know that these passages are the centerpiece of what we're about at Redeemer King. And I'm unapologetic about it. We feel that when we planted this church, God had a special heart for us to reach out to those hurting, vulnerable and broken. And as we did that, he blessed those of us who aren't as well. This church is here for everyone. We want everyone to discover the peace of Jesus. But man, do you, take, you take God's heart for the poor, God's heart for justice out of the Bible, you've got very few pages left. Very, very few pages left. I think he's trying to tell us something. And can I say... You can be poor in spirit. You can have the world. You can have the second Sunseeker yacht. The gold-plated pension plan. The Porsche Boxster, please Lord. In the garage. But be impoverished in your heart and actually have nothing. When Alexander the Great died, just as a little sideline here, he conquered half the known world. When he died, he asked to be 
put in a casket with his hands outstretched because he realized at the point of his death he had nothing. But if you have Christ, you've got everything, isn't you? You can take everything away from you, but you know where you're going and you know what your life's about. When you decide for Christ, it affects where you are 10,000 years from now. It's quite an amazing thing. But Jesus didn't just say these things, he did it. So in Luke 5, it says this, verse 12. When he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. It says immediately the leprosy left him. I always say there's two miracles in that passage. First one is the leprosy was healed. We all know here in this church that we believe that God can heal people. And we've had testimonies of God actually doing that. That's a miracle. It's amazing. The leprosy was cleansed. And we pray for people to be healed. But there's another miracle. The miracle of human contact. That man had not been touched for years. If you were a leper in the ancient Middle East, you were a scumbag. You were spiritually cursed. No one would want to go near you. They thought that if you touched them, you wouldn't just get the disease, but you're spiritually unclean as well. How cool is it that Jesus, without hesitation, touched a leper? Didn't care what people thought. He thought, I've just come for, for diseased and broken, hurting people. Imagine... You were that person who's walking around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Because you had to announce you're unclean so people stay away from you. You weren't allowed to worship. You could be a devout Jew but not allowed in the temple. You weren't allowed in people's houses. We had leper colonies right into the 1900s, actually. The people were isolated, stuck onto islands like in Hawaii and stuff, not allowed any human contact. Imagine how it would feel. No one's ever touched you, hugged you or loved you. And suddenly an arm goes around you. How do you feel? Moved beyond comprehension, I would think. He also reached out to people when there were racial problems or tribal tensions. Like in Luke 10, the Samaritan called them Good Samaritan. The Samaritan and the Jews, let's just say without going to all the technicalities at the moment, didn't like each other very much. And Jesus tells a story about a Good Samaritan. Also, in Luke 19... He goes and has a party in a tax collector's house. Now, we may have someone from HMRC here today. We have visitors. You are loved. But I've just, just done my tax return. <laughs> anyway, you are loved. But in those days, you weren't. Because a tax collector wasn't just a tax collector. A tax collector was also a thief and a scumbag and extorted money out of people. Terrorised people. Like, he's a despicable person. And Jesus goes and has a party in his house. and doesn't care what people think. He brought salvation into his home. And Zacchaeus, in response to the love of God, actually does what he call makes restitution. He repents and turns his life around and starts to make good all his villainy. Because love is a very powerful thing. As is acceptance. Now, you're probably thinking... Why am I saying all this? Well, there's two things. Firstly, you might be sitting here today thinking that you are a moderate scumbag. You might, actually. You might. The amount of times I've had people come to me and say, you wouldn't love me if you knew what was in my life. 
You wouldn't accept me if you knew what was in my life. My God, don't write anyone off, though. When people tell me what's in their lives, I feel the love of God for them. People tell me what's really going on, I feel God's love for them. But what I want to simply say is, you might not normally go to church. You might go to church and not really be in on it. You might have been away from church for some time. But what I do want you to know is, my Father in heaven is your Father in heaven. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you and wipe all that rubbish out. And the Bible tells us that he rose again so you can have a new life, free from all the burdens, free from all the hurt, free from all the pain. There is nothing in your life that can't be forgiven, nothing that can't be made good, nothing that can't be sorted out, nothing that can't be healed, nothing that can't be transformed. I don't care what it is. Nothing. Nothing puts you beyond the reach of God's love. But the second thing is there's a message in here for the church. I'm speaking here now to those of you who regularly go to church. The call on us is to be the most accepting, loving, welcoming, forgiving church group of people that walk on the planet. What Jesus did was he crossed the room. And what we've got to start to learn to do is cross the room to people who are not like us. You know, we, we don't really have issues with leprosy in Chesterfield. We have homelessness, we have addiction, we have people come out of prison, state agents. <laughs> That's a joke. We've got all sorts, haven't we? And we need to know that when people come in here, they're going to get the most loving welcome, no matter what they've done. And we've got to learn to do this more and more and more and more. And let me tell you this. Even if people have really done your head in, that is possible that that can happen. Did you know that? Did you know that people can really do your head in? But when you see them again, put an arm around them. And you love them. And you love them. And you love them. And you love them. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you. He keeps welcoming you back, even when we stuff up time after time after time. I'm going to finish with this little story, which so is the story of Matt. And then I'm going to say a couple of bits about it, then we're going to pray. It is the story of the prodigal son. And I've told you about Matt now. So you imagine this, Matt, the young man who put his fingers in his ears and ignored his father in heaven. Jesus said this, said, a man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Now, you need to put a little bit of context in this. Basically, what's happening is the son is seeing that his dad's got a few quid. And he's like, oh, I don't think he's going to die for some time. So I'd like a little cheeky early inheritance. I mean, far be it from any of us to want that. But that could be the way I get me Porsche Boxster. <laughs> but what he's thinking is, just give me the dosh now. Give me the dosh now. So he like petitions his dad. He's probably not got a very good heart in it. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. So basically, he's a party boy. He's out partying and having a laugh. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. Do you know what? How amazing is it? I've seen this happen to people. You can have a lot of money... But if you're not wise, it falls through your fingers like melted butter, doesn't it? 
Okay, a lot of money, but if you, if you just spend it on the wrong stuff, the booze, the drugs, gambling, you know, spending more than you got, getting into materialism, really, you know, it falls through your fingers like melted butter. It really does. I've seen it happen to people. So he goes out on a party and it, he's done. He's impoverished and he's in a, fam a, a land of famine. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. How the mighty afford him? One minute he's living in comfort in his dad's gaff and now he's, now he's feeding the pigs. And then it says even worse, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. Here's the thing. One wrong turn can lead to an unmitigated disaster. The Bible uses a word called sin, which is basically self-centeredness and doing bad stuff. Not S-Y-I sins, like, not wait, what is it? It's the other one. Slimming world, not slimming world sins. S-Y-I, S-Y-N sins. S-I-N sins are much more catastrophic. They won't just put on a couple of pounds. S-I-N sins will take you to a place you do not want to go. It is the law of diminishing returns. You, you, you start flirting with that, takes you to a place you don't want to go. And that's what happened to this guy. And sometimes it has to be that moment where your head is over pig's wheel before you wake up and come to your senses. So this guy does. He comes to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here of hunger. I'll get up and say to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. Can you imagine what it'd be like being the son at that moment? Probably rehearsing your speech, aren't you? You know, think, what am I going to say to my dad? You know that you had those really tough meetings? You ever had really tough meetings? You think, I've got to play over what I'm going to say. Can you imagine what this guy's like? He's like, what am I going to say to my dad? And what sort of receptions? I, I just, I'm just so desperate. I go and work for my dad. But his father, season-wise, is a long way off. And it's the most beautiful moment. His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's like his cops with Matt. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. But it doesn't end there. Now his older brother was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But this son became angry. He was not willing to go in and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected the command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your wealth, he prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But you had to celebrate and rejoice. But this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. was lost and has been found. Everyone talks about the first son. And many of us have been the first son. I journeyed with Christ at 18 and had a little wonder for a couple of years. And then came back properly at 20. And I had that kind of reception from people in my church who put their arms around me and embraced me and walked me back. 
Sometimes faith can be a bit of a roller coaster ride. And sometimes people stay away from church. They think they're going to be judged when they come back. You're not. You're going to be loved when you come back. And that's the second point. The second son is crucial. What we forget is, this is Jesus. This is Almighty God talking to the church. Talking to us. He's trying to send us a message. Because we can get chipped up about stuff in church, can't we? People walking in, you know, getting a bit more attention than us, or kind of people walking in a bit weird, like Andy Kind. You know, how do we accept and embrace such a person? (laughs) Or someone can come in and the Lord promotes them rapidly in what they're doing and can feel hard. But what God's saying to us is, you know, anyone who comes in, you love them. They were dead. And now they're alive in Christ. They're alive. It's a message to us, actually. So two things, and I'm going to finish, because I know you all want to have a little sing and a cup of tea. And it's this. Number one, you might have been away from the Lord. You, you might be back in church for the first time in a long time today. just want you to know, your Father in heaven loves you. And he's glad that you're here. And I'm glad that you're here. But more importantly, your Father in heaven is rejoicing at you. And all you need to do is make a step towards him. You might never really been in church before. Your Father in heaven, because he's your Father in heaven, whether you knew it or not, is so glad that you're here. And all you need to do is take a little step towards him. And for those of us already in the church, let's not be the other son. Let's be the father. Let's be that image. Anyone who comes in here, we throw the robe on, we get the ring out, we have a party, because people are finding life. And we journey, we journey, we journey, we journey with it. And can I just say, if there are people who have annoyed you or offended you, let's be a church that gets our hearts right as best we can and walk on a narrow path of grace, forgiveness, radical love, so there's always a line of communication, as far as we're concerned, and there's always a way back. I remember my family really attacked me. Um, they're actually a practicing witch. And um, sent me quite a series of horrible messages, just before I was about to preach. Uncanny timing, a massive evangelistic event. And um, that was hurtful. And, and publicly on, on, on Facebook and social media too, attacking me. Remember my close family. It's really hard. So I did. I just sent them a text saying, ooh, fancy a glass of wine and a kebab. Went, what? So why don't we just meet in London? We'll have lunch together. And they said, I'm at the front of the queue. People who hate what you stand for as a Christian. Close to me and my family. I mean, well, let's put that to one side, shall we? And have a pizza or something. And they said no. But I'm going to keep asking. I've got two choices. You can either respond with hate and anger or with arms wide open. And I know which one the Lord prefers. And as we do that, so the Lord will bless us. So think about who you are in that story.